Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett. Welcome to this week's episode of People First, and I am so excited to welcome back my friend and colleague, Jeffrey Hull. You'll recall that Jeffrey is the CEO of Leadershift, a leadership development consultancy and author of the best-selling book, Flex, The Art and Science of Leadership in a Changing World. And Jeffrey and I talked about that book in our first conversation, so I encourage you to go and hunt down that podcast episode and listen and learn with both of us. Jeff's a highly sought-after speaker, consultant, and executive coach with more than 25 years working with C-suite leaders around the world. He's a clinical instructor in psychology at Harvard Medical School, an adjunct professor of leadership at New York University, and the director of education at the Institute of Coaching, a Harvard Medical School affiliate. He's been featured in many publications, and today he's going to be sharing a little bit about his new book that he's working on, Leadership for a Vibrant Future. But Jeff, welcome back to People First. Thank you. It's great to always be back. I look forward to this conversation. So we talked last time about your book, Flex, leadership or the art and science of leadership in a changing world. And of course, with the pandemic, everybody's world has been not only changed, but turned upside down, given a good shake. And we're hoping it's starting to right itself. So as you think about the, the last 12, 18 months, how has that shifted the insights in the book, but your own approach to leadership? Well, I would say everything that I wrote about in that book, which came out literally just as the pandemic was hitting last year, um, was pretty much just accelerated. Uh, you know, the the rise of millennials into leadership roles, the flattening of organizations, the acceleration of multiculturalism and globalism in organizations. And then you add on top of that that the disruption was global and everyone had to figure out how to work productively from, from home or to be safe in their workspace. And I think the kinds of things that I was writing about, the level of emotional intelligence, the level of vulnerability, the level of team dynamic and cohesion and safety, psychological safety, all of those things became uh, even more important and uh, they were already evolving towards being key attributes of effective leadership, mm -hmm. as opposed to the traditional top-down, what I call the alpha command and control. Um, but it's just become even more crucial in the past 12 months. So it's, to my mind, it's all the same, but just faster. See, I love that. I mean, I think back to the start of my career and the concept of psychological safety would never have entered the lexicon in the career I was in at that time, which was banking. And now it's starting to filter in. And I love the research. It's Amy Ed Edmondson, isn't it, that uh, yeah. has started at that momentum building. So for those who are listening who are going, psychological what? How would you <laughs> summarize what psychological safety is and why we should all care? Well, I love that you mentioned a banking environment because I just recently worked with a client that was a, that is a major international bank and the leader of the group is trying to effectively manage a team virtually. So it's mm -hmm. the classic situation that so many companies are facing these days. 
And they're, in fact, talking about going hybrid when they begin to open their offices again and trying to figure out how they're going to work effectively. And what this individual has had to learn is that in order to create an environment, whether in the office, half in the office, or fully virtual, in which people feel safe enough to participate fully, to bring their full creative brains and bodies and hearts and passions and commitment and loyalty to the organization, to the team, it behooves the leader to know how to create an environment where people are not fearful that if they make a wrong move, they're going to be criticized. Or if they're asked to be innovative and then they come up with a great idea, they're going to get shot down. Or if the team decides to try something new, a new project or a new way of operating, which is really kind of the norm these days, and it doesn't go as well as they would have liked. That instead of looking at who to point blame or who to point fingers at and how to fix it because it's bad, they take the opportunity to reflect on what worked and what they can learn and how they can do better next time. And that's all about creating a safe space for people to show up, feel comfortable, kind of let their hair down, and actually really let their creative spirit come alive. And amazingly enough, even my banker executive was open to these ideas because, you know, yeah, exactly. I mean, Amy Edmondson started doing that work 15 years ago when she was researching highly effective hospital settings. Most of her work was in the Mm -hmm. hospital and healthcare space. And she wanted to know why outcomes of surgery and other procedures were sometimes more effective than others. And one of the things that she learned was that environments that allowed staff at the lower levels against the surgeons and the anesthesiologists Mm -hmm. to speak up when they saw something that wasn't working, when they saw something go awry, much higher level of positive outcomes. So those leaders that created an environment, the surgeons and and the top dogs, so to speak, that created an environment called psychological safety, which is the term that Amy Um, started calling her research, created an environment that was much more successful. And now we just apply that to all sorts of teams. And it's interesting because that that catalyst for change that proves that bankers are human too, and having been (laughs) one, I promise I am human too, but can make an extraordinary transformation in culture and approach. And I was listening to a a BBC um, show not long ago, and they were talking about the stage show War Horse. And if you haven't seen it, I I have seen it. Yeah, so the animatronic horse is operated by, I think, about half a dozen actors all blacked out, and they're moving this puppet, and it is so artistic. You lose sight of the fact that this is a puppet. It feels like a real horse. But it moved from London to a different stage, and I can't remember which, but the interviewer was interviewing the the new actors who are learning to, to, to move the two horses, and he started asking them about the mistakes, And he was very quickly corrected in that it wasn't just mistakes. They were beautiful mistakes as they learn how to coordinate it and not make it look robotic, but look like a real horse on stage. And I thought even just that shift in semantics, if we referred to beautiful mistakes, something that's worth admiring, 
wouldn't that make retrospectives more effective and something we want to participate in versus the risk of getting beaten down with a bit by two by four and getting into trouble? Totally so, agree. So when you think about the work that you're doing, coaching leaders and teams around the world, now that we're working or have been working in these little three by five boxes, <laughs> how do you create psychological safety when the mirror neurons and all the other little spidey senses and everything else that used to fire in 3D is to a greater extent filtered out by virtue of the camera? How do we do it? Well, first of all, I would have to start by saying that it's exactly the opposite of what you just said. So just to be clear that the firing of those neurons is actually happening in even greater number and even more pointedly in a virtual space, actually. The, the same kinds of nonverbal physiological reactions that we have to each other in live space happen actually at an accelerated or an exaggerated way in hyperspace, in virtual space. That's one of the reasons why we get so tired. People say, oh, being on Zoom calls is exhausting. Well, you know why? The reason it's exhausting is because you're actually hypervigilant. Your parasympathetic system is actually acting, working even harder to pay attention yeah. to facial expressions, to gestures, to tone, to quality of eye contact. So what that means is that if you as a leader want to create a virtual safe space, you have to be very intentional about it. You can't just lean back on your chair, turn off your video and chit chat in the background and expect <laughs> exactly expect people to uh, be fully engaged. That's the bad news. The good news is that if you are attuned to what it takes to create safety and, and connection in a virtual space and you pay attention to the small, almost micro gestures that make all the difference, you can actually be quite successful. You can have cocktails, you can have dinner, you can have incredible brainstorms. Coffee. But there are definitely, yeah, exactly. There are, but there are rules of the road that leaders really need to learn. Number so one, a few of those. So what, what are those? Because again, you're only seeing me from neck down. So some of those micro gestures are hidden below the camera. We like to think they are. So what do we do to elevate them and make sure that we are being intentional, as you said earlier? Well, you just did one of them which is that you showed your hands and you moved around. So, <laughs> so I encourage my leaders that are running virtual meetings to occasionally use a hand gesture and to occasionally even stand up or move around, have everybody, you know, get out of their chair and raise. I have, I, I have in my team, we do group hug at the end of each meeting, you know, sort of like think, exactly things that kind of replicate that essence of the fact that we have a physicality that we're not just from the neck up. So that's number mm -hmm. one. Number okay. two, figure out a way to look at the camera. And I'm, we all make this mistake of looking at ourselves, but get that camera right underneath wherever you are so that you're looking directly at people. Number three, make sure you, you pay attention to smiling more. In the real world, we can go around being dour and frowning, and people sort of take it as, well, you're a New Yorker or whatever, that's normal. Yeah. But in the, <laughs> in the virtual space, it gets exaggerated. 
Okay. So I had to learn this the hard way. You know, you, you've got to smile in order for yeah. people to really feel that you're there connected. And then, you know, those are the little things. There are probably many more I could talk about, but the, the other level of connection that's really important is to pay attention to the timing and the video and the content, you know, have some structure, make sure either everyone's on video or no one's on video. One okay. of the things that, one of the things that my client has said to me recently is, Jeff, do I have to constantly do Zoom videos or Teams videos? Why, why can't we do a conference call? And I said, you know, I don't think anybody has written a rule that says everything has to be on video. There's a thing called a phone that you can still use. <laughs> and in fact, when it does ring and I talk to somebody, I listen differently and it's kind of novel. Yeah, exactly. uh, I've done a few walk and talk meetings where I've suddenly realized, exactly. no, actually, we don't have to be on exactly. the camera. And my colleague's done the same. So we both get a few steps in as right. we are putting the world to rights or doing having our coaching conversation. And it's taking back control. It's funny how quickly we get shackled to this desk. And it was interesting, I was talking to a leader earlier in the week who was talking about meetings and how in the 3D world, invariably, because we're always scheduled back to back and triple booked, you would roll into your physical meeting, maybe three or four minutes late, because, you know, you had to walk from one side of the campus to the other, maybe you had to stop, grab coffee, powder your nose, whatever. And you would come in, there would be chit chat going on, you'd sit down, no comment. But here, when that meeting notification goes off in the 2D world, it's like <laughs> a lot's dog. And we're immediately going from one to the other with no momentary opportunity to recalibrate and think about the upcoming meeting or reflect on what's just happened. And if we're a few seconds late, it's, all, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, I'm sorry that we're late. And it's an interesting dynamic that I hadn't really paid attention to. Is this something that you're hearing from the leaders? Oh, yeah. I, I am encouraging my clients to schedule 10-minute, 50-minute mm -hmm. meetings, not one-hour meetings. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why psychotherapy, which started, which was earlier in my career, I was a psychotherapist. And 100 years ago, when psychoanalysts and psychotherapists started doing professional one-on-one -on -one work, there's a reason why there was a 50-minute hour. Mm -hmm. And so it's the same thing. You just, you need a break. You need, a, I call it a buffer zone. Yeah. And we all need to recharge or else what happens, and our leaders do this um, without thinking sometimes, is they take the energy from one meeting into the next meeting. Mm -hmm. So if they had a particularly challenging meeting and they didn't have any buffer zone, guess what? Whoever's in the next one gets the energy. And mm -hmm. they're like, did I do something wrong? Oh, no, 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 you're fine. I just came from having a meeting with Peter and he yelled at me the whole time. So that's why I'm like the way I'm, well, break. Yeah. I like that. That reminds me of friend Anise Kavanagh has a, a book, Contagious You, where she talks about her IEP method, which is intentionality, which you've touched on, but also that energy. So before yeah. we go into any conversation or interaction, whether 3D or 2D, it's the who and what do I need to be in this moment and energy, what am I bringing and therefore what do I need to put down in order to be at our best and at my best in this next interaction and putting those just triggers and reminders about how to bring our human to the workplace I think is critical. 
Yeah, uh, what I do, I love that because I have another variation that I when I when I coach people on how to listen, a lot of my clients need to learn to listen more effectively. <laughs> it's a key attribute for good leadership, right? And I call it the three P's: presence, mm-hmm. perspective, and persona. Ooh, tell me more. Presence, perspective. I'm writing these down. Presence, and per- perspective, and persona. So tell tell us a little bit about those. Well, it's pretty simple, but basically for you as a leader to step back and ask yourself, am I ready to do the listening? In a, am I present? Am I fully here? Which is what you were just talking about, right? Or am I bringing the energy from something mm-hmm. I did five minutes ago into this session? So the first step in good listening is to be clear about your presence, physical, emotional, cerebral presence that you're actually attuned to the person. Secondly is, what is the perspective you're bringing in? Are you bringing in a judgment? Are you bringing in a question? Are you bringing in an opinion? We all judge all the time, but Mm -hmm. are we aware of it? So it takes, it's really helpful when you're going into a coaching session or you're going into a leadership dynamic with a team to ask yourself, what perspective am I bringing in? Am I already deciding or am I really open-minded? So perspective taking is basically asking yourself, where am I coming from in this situation? And then finally, persona is what is the role that I need to play in this listening situation? Am I playing the mentor? Am I playing the coach? Am I playing the director? Am I playing the advisor? Am I playing the policeman? Am I playing the dad? Am I playing the child? You know, think of all the different roles. There's so many selves as my colleague Tatiana Bakarova, who studies multiplicity of self in the coaching space, we're all made up of thousands of selves. So mm-hmm. when you go into a listening dynamic, it, it helps a lot to stop and ask yourself, who do I want to be? What is the persona that I want to project? What is the role I want to play? So those are my three Ps, kind of a rule of thumb to be effective as a listener. So there's a couple of things that come to mind. One is I'm picturing hats, so those personas. Yeah. And am I being yep. conscious about which hat I'm wearing? Does it go with the outfit? And it goes back <laughs> to your early anecdote about surgeons and bankers who either are given the hat of all-seeing, all-knowing, therefore I can't challenge, and we go back to psychological safety. How right. do they make sure that, yes, they are the expert and ultimately make the final call, but how do they get those warnings of impending disaster from others It's all connected. It's just so powerful. Right. And the other thing that resonated for me when you talked about presence, perspective, and persona, and you you said, well, it's it's relatively easy or they're simple. And they are as concepts, maybe. (laughs) It's common sense, but it's an uncommon discipline to do it. And it's certainly an uncommon discipline to do it in the heat of the moment. Because when everything's going to plan and we have all the time in the world – of course I'm going to listen. But if the fire's burning and it's life or death, that's when I've seen leaders throw the rule book out and resort to type as opposed to being deliberate around, is this the time to direct or is this the time still to hold back and listen and include? Yeah, which is why I think sometimes it helps to have a little cheat sheet. Mm-hmm. To, you know, I always tell people, if you're going to be really effective at listening, and you're in a under the gun, you know, put the three P's on a little sticky and stick it on mm-hmm. your computer and just check in with yourself. Are you present? Yeah. Do you have a clarity of your perspective? I mean, maybe your perspective is to make a decision right now. 
Mm-hmm. And maybe I need to be the decider. There's nothing wrong with that, but just be clear about it. Don't fool yourself into thinking, oh, now it's time to coach when if now is the time to solve the problem. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, it can be done very, very quickly. You know, and there were the early days of the pandemic. Some of my clients were extremely alpha. They were very decisive. Everyone works from home. Mm-hmm. Everyone meets every Monday on, and we go through our projects. Everyone, you know, A, B, and C. And there's protocols. And, you know, that's what they needed during the first few months of the pandemic. But six months later, if they're still doing that, mm-hmm. that's when all of a sudden they're saying to me, you know, Jeff, I had a meeting last week and only half the people showed up. And I'm like, well, I wonder maybe because you haven't changed the way you're leading them since mm-hmm. March. <laughs> <laughs> Like, let's go through the three P's again and think about how your perspective might have changed, how the role you need to play might have changed, how your presence is probably showing up as tired, frustrated, stressed, and not even there, you know. So it really is context-driven. Well, let's look at that in the changing landscape, because can you give us a sneak peek then of your new book, Leadership for a Vibrant Future? So what's <laughs> off? What does a vibrant future look like or mean for you? Well, I lo- what I am trying to get at there is it's actually moving beyond just pure sustainability or survivability. Um, mm-hmm. I might have used the word and I might still use the word thriving future. But at the end of the day, what I really, the, the step from my last book to where I'm headed is that the last book was really about how do we reframe who gets to be a leader and how they get to be a leader. You know, the fundamental theme of my book is it's no longer just the white guys riding in on the white horse to save the day. Today's world, anyone can lead, everyone should lead, and they should lead using from within their heart the style, the capability, the talent, and the competencies that they develop that can have a huge range. So that was the theme that I was really promoting in my last book. The next step, though, is then why are we leading at all? What is the point? Mm. You know, it's not just profits. It's not just to build huge companies. We've been doing that for over 200 years. And now look at what we've done. We're starting to destroy the planet. Yeah. So, you know, the, we, we need to step back now that everybody steps into leadership and ask, what is the point of leadership? The point of leadership is to create a better world, to create a vibrant future. And that requires us to focus on things like creating meaningful work that actually makes a positive contribution to the planet. And so there are key attributes that I want to reflect on. I want to hopefully create exercises for leaders to work on and develop capabilities and mindsets around asking themselves, what are the models? What are the organizational models that we want to create? What is the purpose of these organizations or these entrepreneurial activities that we're doing or building teams? The more fundamental questions of meaning and Um, solving the complex problems that Mm -hmm. we're facing on the planet and also thinking about the future. You know, Mm -hmm. one of the key attributes that I hope that leaders start to move toward is thinking about what I call transcendence. Like, where are we? Or telos, like pulling into the future. 
what are we trying to create with organizations? Are we creating more gadgets that we don't need? Or are we creating a world that is, that is, you know, really supports the economy for everyone, the environment for everyone. I just want us to not only become leaders, but have a purpose that serves the purpose of leadership, really. I love that. I mean, uh, Dr. Linda Sharkey and I talked a bit about that in the Future Proof Workplace, because one of the six characteristics we talk there about career and work in the 21st century is that prevalence of purpose, the why, and the bigger than just me exactly that drives it. Right. And so as you're starting to do your research, where are you seeing some of those accelerated change? I won't say quick wins, but there, I mean, there are people in our network that we both know are, who are doing huge work to solve complex issues sometimes at a local level, but it can only pick up speed and momentum. So what are the things that are catching your attention at the early stages of your research? Oh, there's amazing things going on. I mean, uh, I'll just give you one example. I mean, a colleague of mine who is a a millennial uh, engineer um, in Ben Preston is doing work around regenerative design and regenerative mindsets in the um, to reinvent the housing space in uh, countries like New Zealand and Australia. But he's using his knowledge of regeneration and the, which is sort of a thinking about the viability and the vitality of the ecosystem in which we mm-hmm. build housing. And he's taking those very same ideas, the principles of regenerative Um, architecture and regenerative engineering and applying them to broader organizational environments. He's doing it right now in writing and as a consultant, but I mean, this is incredibly exciting. I would love to see, you know, banks and other organizations start to have a regenerative mindset. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is just one example. I mean, uh, there's many places where people are taking, um, I would say fundamental scientific breakthroughs that we ha- we're having like in nanotechnology or in biomimicry or in other areas and applying it across the board. And that's where the leadership starts to get really exciting. Not to just make the next fast car, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, or the best delivery service for your pizza. I mean, I think it's uh, it's really about changing the world. We're that's what we're ready for, right? We're coming. I know you and I've talked about this. We're coming out of a pandemic. It's like let's create a better world for the future, and that's what some of these wonderful leaders are doing. Like really powerful. So I know I can listen to these stories, and I am left inspired and in awe. But also at the back of my mind is the, but I can't do that. I love it. Like. Oh, dear. So for people who are listening here who are in different careers, different stages of their career, what are some of those first steps? I mean, even going back to presence, perspective and persona so that we can all start to affect that ripple effect of our leadership and creating that vibrant future as we move to that next chapter. So what, what can we do at a local level, even if we're not yet ready to save the world with our own individual skills? Well, first of all, I think the the biggest shift is in our self-awareness that we are part of an ecosystem, Mm -hmm. right? 
And so when I start to work with my clients that are leaders of small companies or entrepreneurial startups or nonprofits or even big, huge banks like we talked about, it's having a conversation about their identity as leaders and becoming aware that they're part of a system. They're part of a family. They're part of, an, they're part of a community. They're part of a broader team. And that they have the potential to influence all of those constituencies. So it's having a systemic mindset. And I think it fits perfectly with the next generations of leaders, the Generation X, the Generation Y, the Generation Zs, the Millennials. <laughs> they are coming, you know, they're not interested in hierarchy. They're not interested in waiting 25 years to get seniority. And they don't need to. In today's environment, some of the case studies that I'm exploring and people that I'm interviewing are young people that are creating incredibly influential organizations using Instagram or just using networking software, you know, and they, they don't need a hierarchy. And so what I really encourage my more traditional leaders, as you were talking about people that may not think that they're ready to change the world, is for them to start to realize that they are part of a broader system. And that they may have opportunities to be more influential than they realize. It could be as simple as just unleashing the creativity of the people on their team to solve the naughty, difficult, naughty, mm -hmm. K-N-O-T-T-Y, yeah. the, 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 really, the, the really challenging problems that are facing us in today's society. And I think you can start to be aware of that interconnectedness at any level in your mm -hmm. career. You know, you don't have to be a millennial. I like to say in, a, in many levels, we're all millennials, right? We're all, we're all engaged in this social media. We're all using all these fancy um, apps and we're all living in virtual space. So we can also all figure out how to connect the dots and get the best out of everyone so that we do solve these problems. Well, that's a, a powerful way to end this conversation, Jeff. I truly <laughs> appreciate everything that you've shared. Now, for those of you who are listening, I encourage you, please hit the subscribe button so you don't miss future episodes and great insights from the thought leaders who join me here on People First. But coming back to you, Jeff, how do we keep up to date with the things that are catching your attention and your thought leadership around creating the vibrant future for all of us? Well, I think that probably catch me up, catch up, catch, what am I saying? Catch me on LinkedIn. <laughs> that was a tongue twister. Uh, because that's where I love to network with folks and post and read posts and share. So definitely LinkedIn is very active for me. My website is jeffreyhull.com where you can learn about my work and about the book. Um, and read my blog. And then I would encourage anyone that's interested in the coaching space, because of course, that's really where I live on a day to day basis, to look up uh, the website, the Institute of Coaching.org. Um, some really great resources, not just for coaches, but for leaders, for um, people that, that are interested in developing the, their knowledge around the science of human productivity and performance. There's some really good stuff there. So that's where I would go. 
Well, Jeff, thank you again for taking the time to share your insights. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. That was great fun. Part three. Let's just say right <laughs> now, part three will be happening, but much like the Star Wars thing, you'll have to just wait a little while and we'll let you know right. when it's coming. Thanks, I'll Jeff. I look forward to it. Thank you for having me. It was great. Thank you so much for joining Morag today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today. And remember, business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.